I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi everyone, I'm so excited about today's very special episode of Beauty Bosses live from Cancun, Mexico. We have the amazing and brilliant David Modizetti, CEO of Evelis. Welcome. Wow, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for having me on. It's great to be in Cancun. I don't think, have you done one in Cancun before? I have no, this is the first ever podcast being taped in Cancun All for right. my show. So well, great. You know, we've got that. Um, so we are here actually in Cancun um, to celebrate the launch of your new product. Um, so Evelis is a performance beauty company that's launching a new neurotoxin called Juveau. Um, so why don't we start by having you just tell everyone a little bit about what we're doing here and what this means for the industry. Yeah, well look, we, we are launching a product here in the coming days uh, and we're the first neurotoxin to enter this market in almost a decade. And today at this meeting, we, in front of a group of key doctors, we introduced the concept of how Juveau will enter the U.S. market. So here in Cancun, uh, we revealed what the company and the product will do as we enter the market. And you'll hear a lot more about it here in the coming week. So it's exciting because it's a new talk. So for those of you who guys who are not totally initiated in this terminology, a neurotoxin or a neuromodulator is a wrinkle smoothing injection. And so the common ones that are out right now in the United States are Botox, Xeomin, Dysport, and soon Juveau. Basically, they're medicines that a doctor or a qualified professional can inject to smooth out your facial wrinkles and um, make you age backward. Like, you're looking very youthful. Well, you know, I must admit, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to get into this industry about 14 years ago. Yeah. And so, uh, as, as the industry was in its earlier days, and being younger then, of course, I started using these products, and they tend to work well. Of course, we can't make any claims around what it does long term, but it does matter, right? Yeah. It does matter starting early. And in now the it's all about little tweakments and prejuvenation, like you know, staying ahead of the game. But you bring me to a really good topic, which is how you got started in this. So when you were in college, what did you think you were going to do with your life? Wow. Okay. So I was a chemistry undergraduate. Okay. Where did you go to school? Cal State Long Beach. Okay. I was two years into my undergraduate degree, and I realized that I did not want to continue on with chemistry. But then I also wanted to graduate in the four-year window. So I stuck with it, and I knew that I wanted to do something on the commercial side, sales or marketing. And so when I graduated, actually prior to graduation, I did an internship at a pharmaceutical company named Allergan. And so I did that internship the summer before I graduated. And funny enough, they gave me a job offer there, but it was to move to the middle of the country. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so I took a job boy, with another yeah. dermatology company. Okay. And I started my career in pharmaceutical sales. Way back then, did you have any idea that you would be the chief executive officer of a major player in this field? You know, I got to tell you, from the beginning, I always thought I'd love to learn this industry and eventually have an opportunity to run my own company. So. At one point, I do remember when I was at Novartis as a sales representative, the CEO of Novartis flew out to Palm Springs where I was a drug rep. And he rode in the field with me for a half day. And at first I thought, wow, they chose me to be the one to spend the day in the field with. And then about two hours into our time together, he mentioned, yeah, he has a home in Palm Springs. So it just happened to be that he was coming <laughs> to Rosa Gage. No, nonetheless, 
you know, you're to strike while I, the iron is hot, right? <laughs> I asked him a lot of questions about what it was like to be a CEO, and you know, I was inspired by what he described in his career path, which was very similar, funny enough, to the career path that I took uh, over time. And so I knew early on that I wanted to make a difference in the industry. Uh, I didn't know exactly what that would look like, but yes, I actually had a vision that at some point I'd be running a company. I just had no clue how as a drug rep happen. right out of college how that was going to happen. I like that you're such a go-getter, and actually it reminds me of the story of when we first met. So for those of you guys who have not heard the story, when I was like 30 seconds out of residency fellowship, um, I was a young plastic surgeon subletting space from one of my mentors, like really trying to make it, and I wanted to be a real player and like have a seat at the table. And um, David was senior vice president of Allergan Aesthetics at That's that time, right? right? And um, we met in a little crappy bagel shop on the Upper East Side of Manhattan around the corner from my office. And he was probably like, what am I doing here? Why did my reps make me come to this office? But here we are now. <laughs> so I remember that morning. And I remember I was out with our regional manager at the time. Uh -huh. And she said, I want you to meet somebody. Uh, she's up and coming. Trust me, you're gonna love her. She's a go-getter. And I know you haven't heard of her, but we really want you to meet her. I said, be happy to do it. So we, we drove up that morning, and of all places, we met in this busy bagel shop about 8.15. I think <laughs> you were pregnant with your, was it your For, fourth, uh, fourth, third? Third or fourth. Okay. Or sorry, four, maybe and, fourth. And so we met for the first time, and you said, you said to me, you said, you know, I'm gonna do a lot in this space. And you described what you've done that you had done thus far, what your husband does, you, had, you said you had either three or four kids, and I was, I was just impressed by how much you had accomplished in such a short window, but also you had a clear vision of what you wanted to do, and in four or five years, it's amazing what you've accomplished. And then now you're the chief medical officer at, at Real Cell, too. Yeah, which has been like, really amazing. So it's been really impressive. cool to, but I feel like that's like your trajectory where all of a sudden here you are. Um, so I but it's not all of a sudden, right? A lot <laughs> happened for that to occur. Well, right? there's this expression I like that says that every overnight sensation is 20 years in the making. So <laughs> there's like a little backstory a when you when you splash onto the scene. It's not just like here I am, the CEO. That's it's right. like there's something happening back there. Um, so for people who are listening to this podcast, who you know might be young people interested in not necessarily medical aesthetics, but becoming the CEO of a company or having a leadership role or you know having the opportunity to bring a, a company a company public what's some advice that you would give them yep follow your passion number one uh, there's a lot of smart people out there and there's a lot of people that work hard but in the end if you're not passionate about it it's really hard to stand out so make sure you look for something that you really believe in and then once you have the passion believe it or not a lot of times you watch interviews and you think oh that's the profile of what that role looks like or you may see someone at a higher level in a company in a specific interaction think that's what that role is but a lot of times what you don't see is what it takes late at night or many times staying up through the night in order to get whatever needs to be done done the right way uh, and I've always thought in my career two things matter the most number one is if you want a team that believes in the direction the company is going, you have to set the tone. And that starts with everything from work ethic to passion to how you do things and always doing things the right way, never cutting corners. The second part is it's all about the people you work with. Without a doubt, I spend more time today than I ever have before thinking about the talent that we bring in because it's so important, not only because you're interacting with them every day, but as companies get bigger, your team influences even more people. 
And when they influence those people, it changes their career. And if you're graduating from college, you want to work for the smartest person you can find because you will learn so much from that person. If they're passionate on top of that, then it's you are starting your career in the right place. And if you have a vision of where you want to go and you always work for the best and the brightest people, you will be very successful. And just don't cut corners. And there's no real secret recipe beyond that. What's the worst mistake you've made in your career path um, and specifically with related uh, w with regard to um, some of the decisions around Evelis? Yeah. Yeah. First off, uh, you're going to make a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, and that's probably the hardest part. It's kind of like when you buy a new car, that first dent is the most painful dent. And then after that, everything, you start to get in the You groove. put it in perspective and then you like figure out how to fix it. Then you figure it out, right? And so uh, with Avalis, we certainly made a number of mistakes uh, along the way. I kind of view it as you're going to make a lot. You just need to make sure the ones that you make aren't so significant that you can't course correct. And so try to be really thoughtful about incremental decisions and when you make big ones you got to make sure that they're very well thought out. Now if you're a startup like Evelis, there's less room for error. If you're in a more established company of course you're gonna have a little bit more latitude because you have that company that's established and so having different gears depending on what role you're in and what decisions you're making and anytime you're launching a company and a product at the same time there's a lot more scrutiny that's gonna come with it so uh, to say that we don't think about it constantly and it's not part of everything we, you know we do every day within Evelis the team's working really hard right now. Yeah. Well, there's there's a, there's something that plastic surgeons always say, which is that the only surgeon without complications is someone who doesn't lie. So it's either someone who lies to you or somebody who doesn't operate. So you know, if you're a surgeon without complications, that means you're not in there doing the work. And so if you're a company in a growth phase, not learning and growing, then you know you're not really telling the truth. That's so. true. You know, and in surgery, you know this from the training. It all a lot of your success is based on your preoperative planning. In business, it's the same thing. When we show up to a meeting like this, it's really not about how we deliver while we're in the meeting. It's about how much time we put into every facet of how the meeting works, the delivery of it, the way the slides look, the way we communicate them, the way that the team is prepared for that meeting. All of that ultimately defines success. When you show up to the meeting, it's really the opportunity to say what you believe and what you've, what you've really done. You could do it with or without the slides because you know it so well. And so a lot of times people think the show is when the lights are on, it's actually all done well before it starts. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about Evelis. Um, it's a California-based product, a Korean manufactured yeah. toxin, yeah. has a French name, yeah. it's sold all over the world, it's um, Juvo's for the United States, we're launching it in Cancun. It's kind of this world toxin. Tell us about how this is going to be a different type of product. Well, it's a mixing pot, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, Which is it perfect for 2019, right? That's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, look, the product ha has, it's, it's such an exciting product, right, in a lot of ways. And there's a, a neat history to it, actually. So I'll tell you a little bit about it. The first is, six years ago, this product was identified by the original founders of Evelis when they traveled around the world and looked for differentiated products. And this neurotoxin, is developed by a company named Daewook in Korea. It's one of the largest pharmaceutical companies there. And they built this facility that manufactures our product specifically for Javot and the product outside the US, which will be called Nuceva. What makes it exciting is it's a new way of manufacturing a neurotoxin. In the end, most of the intellectual property around neurotoxins is based on the manufacturing process. This process is called Hypure. And that is ultimately how our product is manufactured and each company has its own unique manufacturing process. The secret is in the recipe. And so that is, for us, this is the newest way of manufacturing a toxin 
in the United States. We also did the largest head-to-head -head studies, you heard about those today, ever conducted against the market leader. And so that, what it does is it credentials both the brand and the company to have such a comprehensive data set that shows how well performed versus a market leader. In the end now, it's about getting it into doctors' hands like yourself, letting you try it, and the proof is in the pudding with that. And right. the, of course, the marketing to follow. <clears throat> and marketing is a really huge piece of the company because um, you're doing something very different that we haven't really seen from a drug company before, where there's this beautiful coral flamingo number 32 or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, this you know kind of beautiful color scheme and marketing that's very fresh and relevant. And some people say targeted toward a millennial audience, but you know, I think that it transcends that a little bit. But tell us a little bit about how you have envisioned the marketing strategy and how you describe it to investors and others. Yeah, well, that's what's so neat about being part of a company where you can shape everything from the identity of the company to the way it goes to the market. Yeah. And what we wanted to do was create a beauty company, not a pharma company. And so, of course, we're regulated like any pharmaceutical product of would course, be. Right. So from, in FDA's eyes, studies the way that regulated all identical but in terms of the look and feel of the company it's like a consumer beauty brand and so we've coined the category that we compete in as performance beauty because the products have to perform and these high performance products belong in the right hands and of course well-trained doctors that know how to use these products are important is part of delivering that great outcome but it's also about beauty beauty is attainable it's different to everybody but when you put those two together it has an emotive benefit that we believe transcends the category of medical aesthetics into the much larger category that anyone thinks of in beauty as like L'Oreal's or the Revlon's of the world. Of course, that's very aspirational for us at this time. It's no different than asking me if I wanted to be CEO when I was a drug rep and I referenced L'Oreal and Revlon, but <laughs> you have to have your goals and your ambitions. There's no reason why this category of performance beauty should not be within the overall beauty and retail space. And it's going to be a different point of sale where the patient goes and gets treated, but, and I said patient, I should say where the consumer goes for a beauty treatment, because this really is about normalizing this procedure in that consumer's eyes. And that's why this market overall is just booming around the world. And I know everyone talks about it, less than one out of 10 consumers that want a treatment are actually in an office today. And we think by positioning the company as a performance beauty company, not only do you mention the branding elements of the Evelis logo, two E's back to back, Right, which form and a butterfly. And it kind of looks like a butterfly, looks, right? Right, we released some butterflies <laughs> earlier today. Uh, there, there's a lot to the design element, and that's what's really different about the company. So we talk about the category we compete in, but we put design first. And so we built a design team in-house that thinks about everything from the logo, the look and feel, how you as a doctor, and how the consumer first interacts with the company and this brand. That matters a lot to us. It's more than a product, it's about an experience. Now. Do you think that the stigma around injectables is changing or decreasing? Yeah, I think that it depends on the demographic. I think amongst the younger millennial segment, there is no doubt that the stigma is not the same level as it is amongst the baby boomer generation. Is there any downside to that? What? I mean, is there, because of course, you know, as a woman and plastic surgeon and someone who cares about beauty and wellness as well as health and intelligence, you know, I, I get that and I don't want there to be a stigma around things that are routine practices for so many people. But on the other hand, I wonder if you think that there's a downside at all to the normalization of you know, getting 
toxin injected in your face. Yeah, you know, when you frame it that way, it doesn't actually sound so normal. But you know, I mean, I've spoken to someone who does that same practice. Well, yeah, right. You're you're an yeah. adopter, obviously, on a personal level. So am I. The way I I dimensionalize it is, I think this category is going through something that's no different than hair color was for women uh, in in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and so it wasn't normal, and then it evolved, and it became more and more normalized. And today. Women color their hair all the time, and no one even thinks twice about it. Right. I think you're seeing this category go through the traditional cycle of it's for the few, maybe the celebrities, to some people do it for anti-aging, and maybe it doesn't create such a natural look to the product starting to deliver to the broader masses. It's part of a routine, a beauty routine, and why wouldn't it fit in your cycle? And in the end, people are living longer. People feel, don't look as good as on the outside as they feel on the inside, how do you create that balance? And that's where we fit in. And look, we benefit a bit from a broader mega trend, which is all about health, fitness, and beauty. And this is a part of that segment. And in the end, it performs. It's performance beauty for a reason. And when consumers first come in and try a treatment, in most cases, they're coming back. As long as they got a good outcome, they know it delivers a high quality effect. No different than trying to use a skincare product that just doesn't deliver that effect that maybe an injectable would. And so these are just performance based. Yeah. Do you think we're creating a generation of reality TV <laughs> clone, you know, Instagram models who, you know, are getting their priorities in the wrong place? Or what, what's your take on that whole it's thing? It's a good question. Do I, I worry a little bit about fatigue. Do I think sometimes we're on the outer extreme of overly focused on maybe a, a lip that has a lot of volume in it, like that's a fad and that's not sustainable. But I do believe that idea of balance in life, whether it's on your personal life or your physical or the way that you look is very important. I don't think that'll ever go away. And the fact that we introduce products that help you achieve that natural symmetry in your overall life, as long as it's done within balance, I think that's a great place to be. Do I think at times in certain segments we're in extremes or in certain pockets of the market? Absolutely. But we all know that that happens in every category and, and it, it will eventually swing back to normalcy. I do still worry though that some of those extremes sometimes can poison the well. And of course that keeps us up at night. Fortunately, this category is weathered through some of those things and, and I think that it shows that it's a durable space. Absolutely. And my take on it is that you can be your own kind of beautiful, that you can be that person who colors their hair or you can go gray naturally and you can sort of smooth out all your facial furrows, leave just one or two or have them all there. And it's kind of a time when it's your body and your business and you can do what you want in your own way. The only thing is you have to make safe and medically responsible decisions. So That's right. I actually think that you know, I don't think that we're creating a generation of reality TV insta model clones and forcing bad ideals down people's throats. Yeah. Um, you know, I have I have six kids, two of them are daughters, and I think about how I want them to be raised. And you know, I want my little girls to grow up feeling like they're perfect exactly the way they are and that society judges them for their brains and not for their looks. But if they wanted to do some kind of treatment when they were at an appropriate age and it was a reasonable expectation, I would support them doing it in a safe way. So, you know, we're not so black and white. You know, we're, we're so much more complex than that. And I really like that Evelis is trying to carve out this gray area in between where, you know, can you still be cool and smart and a person of substance and also want to get your beauty routine and go to your doctor's office a couple times a year and sort out your personal sense of self and outward appearance? 
What do you think the biggest barriers are to really taking this market to that level where it's fully normalized? Because it's not yet. In all yeah. fairness, we know less than one out of 10 consumers in the office. Does it get to a place in the next decade where two out of three, two or three out of 10? Totally. I, I think what we're really wrestling with is um, kind of coming back from where we originally started. When Botox first hit the, mo the market, I think the impulse amongst doctors was to do the most that we could do. And we had a generation, the generation above me, of women and men with shiny, pulled, taut foreheads and kind of this glassy, ethereal, like beautiful alien look. And, um, and it made people feel like toxin is, was synonymous with being frozen. And now we're in a much more moderate place where um, plastic surgeons and dermatologists of my generation are thinking about what is the best we can do with these products, not what is the most we can do. And the end point is not reduction of all wrinkles, it's optimization of facial beauty, which is a completely different thing. And so we're, we're kind of talking people off of the ledge of being scared of overfilled cartoon lips and super shiny foreheads and really tightly pulled cheeks and stuff that is a caricature of the best that we can do. So I think that for your company and for all companies, the most important thing um, is not necessarily just the product, although that is critically important. It's also the person on the other end of the product and what is the aesthetic judgment of uh, the doctor who's putting the product in your face. That's right. And you know that that's the toughest thing to train to. This is probably, in, of all categories in medicine, it, it is one of the most complex in the sense that not only do you have to be skilled with your hands, understand how the products behave differently, but you also have to have an artistic eye. And it's really hard to train to that artistic eye. And the co combination of it all is what delivers that symmetry and the effect. And that's why it's so important to find an injector in this case that you know has that skill set to deliver that outcome. What do you think about all of these dry bars of injectables that are popping up all over the place? I've been reading so many articles about them and I have my own set of thoughts, but, um, but I'm just curious what, what your thoughts are. Yeah, so over the last decade, what you saw were medical spas that provided a great environment to get treated, but less than quality outcomes. And doctors that had sterile medical practices but then you'd walk into them for a beauty treatment and it felt like you were going in to get a skin exam. And over time, what's happened is the medical spas have sp invested a significant amount of time in training and they're improving their outcomes. And doctors on the other side have also improved the aesthetic of their practice. And so what you're seeing is an industry that's formed as a result of doctors that were practicing their respective specialty into aesthetics and then some of these medical spas that have evolved into delivering high quality outcomes. The reality is there's still a long way to go, whether it's within the core specialties of dermatology or plastic surgery as an example. In the U.S., I believe there's roughly 12, 13,000 dermatologists in the U.S. Not half of the dermatologists inject on a regular basis. So the dermatologists as a whole haven't embraced the procedure. The same applies when you go to plastic surgery. So it's really about the industry evolving and getting better training to deliver great outcomes. Uh, and of course, just like anything else, if you could eliminate the bad actors, the market would do far better. And we tend to focus heavily on who doesn't get the good outcome, but by and large, consumers that are getting treated are very satisfied with their outcome. And the majority of them 
do get great results and continue to come back. And, and I think that's a great story, especially considering how quickly this market's expanded. And we know the skill set is expanding at a faster pace now than even the market is. Because consumers who get treated are now becoming more and more cognizant of the quality injectors and who to go to to get that better outcome. Who's your goal consumer? Who, who's the person who's using Juvo? Well, so the beauty of the neurotoxin market is it really appeals across the generations. Our focus as a company was initially around the way that that younger demographic of millennials thinks and operates. Everything from our branding to the way that we communicate, it's a lot more simple and it feels less like a drug speaking to a patient in that medical language and it's more playful and the tone is different. And so it's that millennial mindset is our target. And we have a digital platform that powers the company that was designed in-house by a team that had no experience in healthcare. And we brought them in because we wanted to create a brand that just had a completely different look and feel about it. So I believe the millennial mindset, which transcends just that millennial generation, it's all of us, right, that uh, ex exist with a lot of technology or believe in being on the forefront of what the next generation is, that's the target group that'll appeal to Javot. It's a new manufacturing process, a new product, and a new company that's operating completely differently from the existing space. Yeah, it's interesting. And I like, in looking at some of your early marketing materials, I like that you guys are doing more for representing different forms of beauty. It's not all a 32-year-old, thin Caucasian woman with a couple of crow's feet and the marketing material. It's all different kinds of people with all different kinds of demographics. I think that's so important because, you know, we have to take some ownership as people who have voices in the beauty space about not only giving people what they want, but also how we're shaping beauty for the next generation. Because we're also telling people what is beautiful, and that's something that I think about a lot as a plastic surgeon. You that's know, right. like if I am putting into the world exaggerated, enormous breast implants and really full, cartoonish, um, you know, Jessica Rabbit faces and lips and cheekbones and things like that, then what I'm doing is normalizing that and creating that as a beauty standard for kids who are 15 or 20. You're right. And, and also, it, I think it also alienates a portion of the market. Like when you go to Miami, some people say, that's the Miami look. Or you're in Southern California, like that's the Newport Beach look. And I live in Newport Beach, I can say that. Uh, <laughs> you and, have the Newport and Beach the reality <laughs> <laughs> So, But the reality of it is, it, it really is about diversity. And when you think about normalization, it's not about making people all look the same. And you hear about within cultures, certain cultures want to look more westernized as an example. So they go get treated in order to accentuate features, in order to make their faces look more of a certain culture. And I believe ultimately it's about celebrating your own ethnicity or whatever you value and delivering that outcome that's beautiful or natural to you. And that's a challenge with beauty. You and I both know beauty means something different to everyone. But in the end, the real power of beauty is when you look in the mirror and you feel like that's beauty to me. And performance beauty is beauty in your everyday lifestyle. And so you, when you look on our website as an example, we have women that are featured in their day-to-day -day environment, whether they're with their children or they're doing different activities, and they're not, as you said, just the, the typical Caucasian models. It's all different ethnicities. But what we've and also, also done like is, boss babes, like yeah. fire, female firefighters. They're and stuff A types, like that. right? Yeah. No, but they, they control that. their lives. They love the performance, but they also want to look beautiful. I mean, 
what mom doesn't want to look beautiful or, or whoever's active in the workforce doesn't want to, but they also don't want to look unnatural and they want to live their current life. And we believe that that's part of normalizing this. This isn't just for celebrities or certain looks, it's for everybody. And you're a male, obviously, and you mentioned that you're a personal yeah. user. Would you care to share anything about your personal relationship with the world of beauty and medical aesthetics? Well, right now my personal relationship's not going so well <laughs> because for the last seven months, I've been in something called a washout phase, waiting for this product, Javeau, to get approved when am and I enter the U.S. You? market. I know. When are, when are we planning? I need to get injected, as you can see. I'm going to help you when you come to New York. <laughs> so this has been a painful period. Actually, it's funny we because- We could do a Devgan glow up. Oh, we've got to do that. I would <laughs> okay. love that. Okay. My wife's been giving me a hard time, too, because she joined my washout phase about four or five months ago. So the whole family's routine has been a bit thrown off. Uh, but look, I'm a big routine person, whether it's the diet, the exercise, trying to get a certain amount of sleep. But this is part of my daily routine. Sugar-free Red Bull. Sugar-free. <laughs> yeah, she got Not me. an ad. Of course, we're a few <laughs> days into this meeting. It's a little tiring. You know, the voice starts to get a little, a little hoarse. But uh, it, all these things, it just, for me, it all factors into my routine. That's why, as we explored how do we position this company, you know, yes, I'm a male. And the, our target demographic, nine out of 10 consumers are female getting treated. Uh, but when you speak to women that get treated or the women that are on our leadership team or on the marketing team, you listen closely, it's the same thing. Everyone wants to live their lifestyle and look as good on the outside as they do on the inside. And that's performance beauty at its core. Yeah. Let me ask you a little bit about the business side of Evelis. What was behind the decision to go public before launching the product? Yeah. Uh, so that predates me. So I joined the company in May of 2018. The company did an IPO in February, just a few months prior. Uh, it was held by a company that wanted to take this particular asset, which was the most valued asset in their portfolio, and allow it to perform on its own and separate from the rest of the, the products that they had as a company. So they spun this product out in order to do two things. Number one, to get focus. You get a management team that's dedicated specifically to this product, and that delivers a lot of value, which we've done over the last 14 months, roughly, since the IPO. And then the second thing that it does is that it gets, obviously, more capital into the company. The public markets give you, give you the ability to, one, share with transparency where you are in your development. At the same time, it gives you access to the banks and the different investors that, that come into IPOs. And fortunately for us, we've been one of the top performing IPOs since we uh, entered the markets last February. So that's enabled us to raise the capital that we need to enter this very large market. Yeah. So uh, there was a lot of speculation about how Juveau would enter the market relative to its main competitors, Botox, Xeomin, and Dysport. And interestingly to all of us, it has entered as a premium product at a premium um, price point. So can you talk a little bit about that and what that means? So on a personal level, yeah. I've always gravitated towards building things and not taking away from markets. I just, I personally take, see a lot of value in watching a category like this grow at a fast clip. I think the worst thing that could happen in a category like medical aesthetics is what happened to LASIK, where the category just commoditizes overnight. And the way that that happens is it's, it's one ecosystem. Doctors are one part of the ecosystem, so are the manufacturers. We all play a role in it, just as the consumers do. And our role collectively is to be well-educated on what it takes to build these markets. And I knew that we, number one, had a great innovation, and we had the data to support how well the product worked. And so we wanted to make sure that the consumers understood that we had a premium brand to support this launch. And so that's why we took the premium price. And I think a lot of people were surprised because early on, you were asking about the IPO phase before I joined, I think initially the thinking was this might be a cheaper product. But when you sit back and look at the investment we're making into the consumer and building a brand, 
as well as the product and the data that we've generated, it really lends itself to a high quality premium product. Yeah, and I truly think that for a 2019 consumer, people are shopping for quality and not price. And of course, we're all price sensitive and everybody has a budget and those considerations are extremely important to be respectful of. But it's more important to um, try to look for quality, whether that's you know the exact bottle of wine you want or the kind of car that's going to get you from A to B or the product that you're, you know, the doctor you're going to, the product that you're using, et cetera. So you know, I think that that makes sense, at least from my standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, look, it, it's an exciting space. I think for doctors to have a new choice, and there hasn't been a new product and a new company that entered toxin space. Yeah. Like I said, in a decade, so that's is this, neat, the, right? this is like the thing that everybody really wants to know. Is this going to disrupt the neurotoxin market? Like, are <laughs> we, is this like the moment, like right before the storm and the disruption of this huge, huge piece of the aesthetic pie? Well, if by disruption you mean expanding the pie yeah. and that consumers have a renewed interest in this category that accelerates it, then I hope so. That is our goal. That is why we position Shake the company differently. We didn't want to mirror what the existing competitors do, and we have a lot of respect for the competitive set. Of I course. think they've done, they've helped build this category. And look, I came from that background as well, so I have a lot of respect for the way that the companies have approached it. Clearly for us, we had to do it differently. We're a new company, and we have the luxury of being a company in 2019 with the latest of technologies, knowing what we know about the millennial demographic to position our brand differently. And that's exactly what we're doing. And so why wouldn't it result in the market growing at a faster rate? And we're very much committed to doing that. And having been a part of prior launches in, in my career, I know that investing into a category, pushing for innovation, entering with a differentiated way of using or introducing the product, all of those are catalysts for a market. And what's happening right now that I see Number one, doctors have a renewed interest in neurotoxins. They're talking about it a lot. When I look in social media, the fact that we just entered, and we're only a couple days in, but the noise level, it's picking up exponentially just in a matter of a couple days, and we're in the early innings. That's great for everybody. The competition is increasing their investment into the category. All three competitors are. Whether it's subsidizing with consumer rebates so patients come back faster, whether it's investing in consumer advertising, all of those are catalysts. The media has a tremendous amount of interest in this category because they're asking the same question you are. How's this gonna disrupt the space? What does this mean for millennials? How will a new company compete in a market like this? All of those are great things for the category. And, and so I, I think it's everyone wins well, in this so type of environment. Well, it's so cool because for most people, the first time you get a toxin injection is sort of this aha moment. It's kind of like the first box of diapers you buy if you're a new mom or you know the first time you um, get a package of formula or baby bottles or whatever where you're sort of you're committed to a certain kind of life and you're gonna like it and you're gonna keep doing it and so um, the power of expanding the market and getting people at that first inflection point of like their first box of diapers, it means that you're also going to sell them their first set of backpacks and their first set of sneakers and t-ball equipment and you know right. college prep books. And um, and so on that note, are you guys thinking about expanding the portfolio at Evelis? Yes, we are. So. We, we're committed to the aesthetic space only. That's what's unique about Evelis is we won't have any reimbursed products uh, for therapeutic uses, and we'll also be solely dedicated to this category of, of medical aesthetics. Initially, we're gonna focus on the face. We like our singularity and focus today on a single product in a single category. Happens to be the single largest category in the aesthetic market overall. But of course, over time, 
there's a lot of value we can create by bringing new technologies in this market, not just in existing categories, but in categories that don't exist today. And that's ultimately what's created this market. When you trace it back, all the products you use today, 20 years ago, most of them did not exist. And so yet today, they represent the most widely used procedures. The next 10 years, we're gonna see an influx of innovation, not just within the categories that we're currently using products where perhaps they'll innovate, but even new ones. And that's what makes this space so exciting. The demographics are very positive. The consumer willingness to come in and get treated on the rise, part of a broader macro trend. And funny enough, there's not that many companies in the space that are dedicated to it. And so that's what makes it such a compelling case for us and also through the IPO, what's made us so successful thus far. And we have a long way to go, but we're pushing the baby out the door. Our baby Javot is coming soon. <laughs> is, um, is social media important for you or are you focusing more on traditional media? Yeah, actually we're not focused on traditional media. It's social and digital is really the, the focus of this brand. And that millennial mindset lends itself to that view. As a matter of fact, That'll be where initially our entire focus will be dedicated. And our digital platform is designed with the social media in mind, with the doctor in mind. And what you heard about a little bit today is how we will surround each doctor with the different elements in order to build Javot around them. And I think there's two ways to look at building companies. One is you introduce a brand, you push the brand as wide and broad as you can in the market with traditional channels like TV and print. Alternatively, the approach we're taking is different. We push the product out to the doctors, we surround the doctors, and we enable them to bring the product to life, but we provide the tools and the means for them to do that. And you can see that when you follow any doctor on their social handles that's been involved with Javot or Evelis, everything from some pretty neat things the teams come up with, a confetti throwing party practices have been involved with, we're doing some here. Uh, all the way through uh, know, we to have their to do own our post. confetti throw we, we together. We need to do it. Yes, <laughs> right. So it's it, look, it's part of having fun, yeah. and that's that's in our culture, and it'll okay, be neat. amazing. And then I, we're kind of running out of time. Yeah. Although I feel like I could talk to you all day. This Likewise. is so fun. Um, but I wanted to ask you some more personal questions because I one thing I really admire about you is that even though you have. Um, moved in your professional space from um, one big company to another company. Um, you've always maintained a very classy approach to um, speaking about the space and you're extremely professional. Um, so you spent a lot a lot of time in your career at Allergan and now obviously you're at Evelis. Um, but never once have I ever heard you say anything disparaging about anybody or any company. And I would love for you to just give people some advice because especially for young people listening to this podcast, they move around between companies, stuff works out, stuff doesn't work out. There's a lot of career noise that happens. But how can people stay you know, above reproach and stay classy yeah. when things like that happen in their life? Yeah. Look, I, I think be, be within your character regardless of the environment you're in. Don't, don't be a chameleon to your environment. So in 20 years, this is the third company I've worked with, the prior one I was with for 14 uh, in total. And so it comes down to two things. Number one, I have a great deal of respect for people individually. So I view my relationship with any single individual greater than any enterprise that may surround it. That's the starting point. But also I'm very respectful of the enterprises as well. I learned a lot from different leaders uh, over the years and they have shaped the way I think. I think we're all influenced by the people that we learn from and to how, how can one move out of that and then lose respect for that establishment or that environment. So I have a great deal of respect for every company operating in this space. It's not easy and the market may be growing, 
but the customers re re uh, expect a lot uh, as well, and they should, because the consumers expect a lot from the doctors as well. And, and if that ecosystem continues to be that, then everyone thrives to be better, and that's a great place to be. But in the end, I think making sure that as, at an individual level, when I go to sleep at night, I'm comforted by the fact that I've always done things the right way, and that's the only way to do it. Any advice on how you manage your family life with your work life? <laughs> I'm always in search of balance. You know, I, I always think, uh, you know, if you think about life on an annual basis, as an example, you're always going to have moments in life where you're in and out of balance. But I like to think that over a window of time, I make sure that I make enough time for each of those elements. Clearly this year with the launch of Javeau and the company, it's tougher for me to find that balance, but I still try to make the time when I can. And a lot of times we overestimate the importance of constantly being present. Like as an example, about three weeks ago, I took a week off for spring break with my family. Now in the evenings and sometimes early in the mornings, I'm on conference calls, but I was still there. And it was important for me to get away, even though it wasn't an opportune time to do it. And the work still got done, because number one, a great team to work with. And number two, you just make it work. And at some point, I think if you're one dimensional, it's all work without the personal life or vice versa, then I don't think that same symmetry that we talk about in beauty is fulfilled in life. And I think the symmetry in life comes from the balance of all those things. You are a somewhat private person compared to other CEOs um, who tend to be more public figures and open up their lives a little bit more. Is that something that you have given thought to? And are you ever going to be a public figure sharing glimpses of your life and times and work and things like that? It's a great, my wife always tells me, she's like, <laughs> why are you like that? So it traces its way back to when I was like seven years old, I would wear suits to go out to like dinners with my parents. Like, I, it's not that I try to go out of my way to be a certain way um, actually very I'm very open in, with my personal life with friends yeah, and family yeah, yeah. just not in the social sense and uh, I think in some ways I'm inching in that direction but if you had to put me on a curve I would be a laggard without a doubt it's intentional though because it's just outside of my element to do that totally I was actually a reluctant joiner to social media myself really? my my sister suggested it to me way back when okay. and I think I told her at that time you're crazy I'm never gonna do something like that and but then here we are and here you are so maybe <laughs> so check in with me in a couple years <laughs> <laughs> exactly well thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us this was so amazing and I learned so much um, can you tell people a little bit more about where to learn more about Juveau, the new talks, and Evelis? Yeah, well, you'll you'll hear a lot about the brands. You can look us up on Juveau or hashtag new talks or different ways to find out about the company and the brand. And, and I'm, I have a feeling you're going to start to hear a lot more about us in the coming weeks. Amazing. Stay tuned.